I asked Corey, I was like, hey, Mitzi said for me to set up a showcase. And Corey was like, wow, a showcase, that's big. And everyone started talking about it. All the employees like, that's big, man. You can get a made paid regular. It's be a big moment for you. I started getting nervous, man. I was getting nervous. I didn't know it was a big thing when I asked. I just wanted some advice from a lady who fucking watched a lot of comedians. She watched Kinnison. She watched Pryor, Night After Night. I've seen your face a hundred times Every day we've been apart I don't care about the sunshine, yeah Cause my Everybody. Welcome to Ari Shafir's Skeptic Tank. I'm Ari Shafir. On today's episode, so here's the deal. My special comes out tonight. My special paid regular premieres tonight at midnight on Comedy Central, 11 p.m. Central, and maybe Mountain. I don't really know what you guys use. I know Arizona does their own thing. Regardless, it's out tonight on Comedy Central. Set your DVRs. Plan your parties. Do it with your friends. Makes it more fun if you watch with your friends. I'm very excited. So, uh, in honor of this, I'm releasing a midweek episode, and this episode is just the introduction I did, um, where I, earlier, like about six months ago, when I found out I was going to be doing my special, when the date was, at the Comedy Store, what it meant to me. So I'm releasing it as its own episode. I thought I should back then, but I'm doing it now. Midweek episode. Uh, if you miss it tonight, you can watch it on Video On Demand, um, or On Demand, I think for four more days, and then it's gone. And if you want to buy or get the extended cut, which is like 30 extra minutes of, of the special, um, go to my website, ariashafir.com, and you can find it. You also get with that, you get a, my, a, my tour of the Comedy Store and um, and the special uh, a Q&A, <laughs> the things we've done at uh, the Comedy Store for uh, me and the other comics for a good six, seven years now. Um, worth the price of admission so if you're not a guy who buys something online fucking don't worry about it watch it on TV that's all you guys I hope you enjoy it really meant a lot to me to be able to record my special at my home at my home club the comedy store uh, when we recorded it I had a bunch of other paid regulars there they were all upstairs we opened up the belly room and everyone everyone kind of hung out it was a nice party it was a nice celebration for like sort of for all of us it was like a little win. So anyway, here's the episode I did. I uh, hope you enjoy. Episode 201. Ari Shafir's Captain Tank. Episode 201. Paid regular. Hi everybody. Um, I have some news. In uh, in um, in like April of 1999, I had just moved to Los Angeles. I was staying with my friend Aaron Levine in a converted attic above a garage. These old people's house. Uh, they had they had their son had gone to medical school with with Aaron's father and they were kind enough to let us stay there while we looked for an apartment um, and a job. I looked for a job too. Aaron already had one. He had been transferred from his restaurant from wherever he was to a place in Redondo or something. And we were staying in Santa Monica and um, I remember one time Aaron was like, I'm going to Kinko's to use the internet. It's pre-smartphones. And uh, he goes, uh, do you want to come? I was like, ah, nah, it's all right. And then he left. He goes, have fun masturbating. <laughs> we really didn't have any time to separate from each other we were staying in the same it was just like one big loft and he was right that's what i was gonna do as soon as he left it made me wait like an extra like 40 seconds but then i went right back right to it anyway um 
So one day I was I was driving, looking for a job. I was driving down Santa Monica Boulevard, seeing all the palm trees. It's so much fun when you move to Los Angeles. Just the fact that you're in such a tropical location. I drove down Santa Monica Boulevard till till I got to West Hollywood, where I noticed all the billboards. Got a lot more, a lot more mail, a lot more dude on dudes on the mail, billboards there. I was like, "What's this?" That's when I found out that West Hollywood was a gay neighborhood. Um. Anyway, I skirted up to to Sunset Boulevard. I, what I was looking for was I was looking for the Laugh Factory. My thought was I was gonna get a job at the Laugh Factory, learn my way around stand up comedy. I still wasn't really telling anybody that I wanted to be a stand up comedian. I was still kind of embarrassed about the idea. I'd never done it. I'd done it one time ever actually, uh, a couple years before, at some place in Northern Virginia. I invited nobody. Um, did eight minutes. I forgot what it was about. Squirrels was one thing. Bumper stickers was another. Um, and I was embarrassed to tell people that I was moving to California to do something that I never trained in. So uh, I told them, you know, I want to be a screenwriter, which was also true at the time. I wanted to be a screenwriter or slash and a stand-up comedian. But I had taken screenwriting classes, so I just told everybody screenwriter. It was at least a chance. I had trained in that a little bit. I could, I could understand how that could be a possibility. The comedian, how could that be possible? I, I didn't know anything. I had no expertise. So I was looking for the Laugh Factory. I thought I could get some sort of job there and uh, maybe you know, break in. I didn't know how you start comedy. So I thought maybe I could break in from the ground floor. You know, It's like working in the mailroom. I used to watch, uh, it wasn't called Live from the Laugh Factory. I forget what it was called. But it was on Saturday nights. We didn't have cable growing up. Uh, we had it in like first and second and third grade, and that was it. Um, but we didn't have cable, and I, I love stand-up comedy. I only got to watch whatever was on Carson. <laughs> yeah, Carson. Or um, or um, the occasional like showcase show, and the Laugh Factory had one. Ah, man, I wish I knew what that was called. I remember Tom Cotter. I think that was his name. He hosted it. So cheesy, that guy. But uh, saw some interesting people, the amazing Jonathan, whatever. Anyway, it's not the story. Uh, I figured I'd start the Laugh Factory, like in the mailroom. And while I was driving down there, I passed on the left-hand side, driving east on Sunset. I passed this black building with a marquee that said Comedy Store. I had never, I had never heard of it before. But I remember thinking, like, okay, I'll, I'll go to the Laugh Factory and I'll go back and see see what that is. I, I don't know what I don't even know understand what that means. Is it are they selling stuff? Um, I went to the Laugh Factory. I think I applied for a job. They, they don't hire wannabe comedians. That's not that's not their path. And on the way back, I stopped into the comedy store. There was no one there. There was no office. Um, I just kind of wandered around, saw some. Mexican cleanup guys. At the time, I still called them Latinos before I realized that in Southern California, they're, they're Mexican. They're all Mexican. I thought it was so racist. That old couple let us stay there. They said, like, the Mexican guy comes in here. I was like, oh, it's Latino. She goes, no, it's Mexican. I know more. It's not just Latino. I know specifically what they are. Um, but I always grew up saying Mexican was like a derogatory term. But it's not derogatory when you're Mexican. Anyway, uh, they directed me upstairs to the phone room, and there was this guy named Larry who was working the phones, and he said, uh, oh, you're looking for a job? Okay, uh, fill out this application, and he gave me some advice. He said, hey, if you really want a job here, um, you should know you got to like follow up a bunch. You got to keep harassing the, the managers. At the time, I think his name was, could it be Brandon Duncan? No, it was someone else, Rob Davies. Uh, and I was like, all right, I'll keep keep bothering him. But he goes, yeah, they do hire comedians. And I was like, okay. And then, uh, you know, I pester them and pester them. And then and I think in May, I finally got a job. I'd already done the open mic. I'd signed up five times. The way you do the open mic there is um, you sign up. 40 names sign up, and they pick out 20 of those names. And those people are going to go up the following week and do three minutes. So while I was waiting to get a job, I had done the sign-up thing. I, I drew a number three of the five times. The other two times didn't draw anything. In fact, one time, 
I drew a number, and uh, I believe it was the last time that I had to draw before I got a job there. Uh, I was working as an extra on a, on, a, on a Jimmy Smith's movie. I don't know if it ever came out. It was a boxing movie, and I had to be in the crowd. We had to keep shifting us. So it was like from one angle, they would show the crowd behind that. Then they would switch to another angle, do the same exact fight, same exact moves. Um, but, you know, 45 degrees away, and then we'd all have to shift. The audience, which was us, the extras, would have to shift to the other side and still go crazy. The first time they shot it, it was great. From the first angle, it was like fucking awesome. I was watching a boxing fight. And the second time, we got into it too, just like the first time. But then we were like, wait, I know what's going to happen here. And then the third time, we definitely knew it was going to happen. And it was a long, boring day. I think I made $56 for about eight hours of work. Maybe. Um, and it was coming on 7 o'clock. And the open mic starts just goes from 7 to 8. And then they put the employees on. So... I had to get over there. My number was, say, 14 or something. Bob Oshak was hosting. He was a writer for Craig Ferguson for a long time. And then I don't read the news completely, but I believe Craig Ferguson recently shot an unarmed black man in Missouri. And people are pissed because there are no black people on late night television. So for Craig Ferguson to do it, how much worse? Um, I think that's the story. I didn't read past one word in the headline. Um, anyway, I remember escaping, going to the, the, the guy who ran the, the, the extras saying, Hey, I need to go to the bathroom. He goes, okay, it's down that hallway. And I, and I said, okay, sure. And I walked down the hallway and as soon as I got through the door, it was like a movie. I just started sprinting, sprinted in my car, got in my car, fucking hightailed it as fast as I could. This was downtown LA, hightailed it to the comedy store, fucking slammed on the brakes, Jumped out, ran in, and Bob was like, Bob Oshak was like, oh, cool, you're next. Fucking sweet. Got on, did my three minutes, fucking jumped back in my car, ran back. They never even missed me. It was gone an hour and 20 minutes. Never missed me. If you're an extra out there, you can slack more than you are. Um, <laughs> I was always great at slacking. I got my SAG ID. It's my SAG card from striking for them when they had the commercial actor strike. And uh, we'd have to pick it and stuff. And I'd be like, oh, I'm, i got to go to my car and get something. I would just sleep for five hours and come back. And I would get all the hours. Um, anyway, then I got a job there. Eventually, the, the manager was like, hey, you bother me enough. We actually need a new phone guy. And they hired me. And I worked the phones. I didn't know what to do um, in terms of comedy. I didn't know how, what was the in. Duncan Trussell trained me on the phones. He had been there a couple months before me. He hadn't started comedy yet. He was still trying to work his courage up. And um, I had done it, you know, 10 times, a few open mics around town. The Kindness of Strangers was one place in North Hollywood. On Lancashire, it's gone now. Um, and I got a job. And it was fun. The advice I got from one of the guys who was not a comedian um, on the phones was, uh, don't leave anything here in the phone room. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, don't even leave an old magazine. I was like, what? He goes, if you leave a Sports Illustrated from seven years ago, not even a swimsuit issue, just a random mid-month Sports Illustrated, he goes, they'll steal it. I'm like, why would they? Because they steal everything. That's why. Comedians steal everything. He was right. Um, and I worked there, and it was fun. I made friends there. With the wait staff, we would hang out. We would go to parties and stuff. God, those were fun times. And I never made my way downstairs to go to the show. I was too scared. I was too nervous to go in front of the, uh, the other paid regulars. I remember when I signed up for the open mic before I started, this guy, Jason Galern, really funny comic who never really got spots at the comedy store, but really funny comic, Jason Galern. And um, biting one-liners, dark and dirty. And he was pulling into the comedy store for some reason. I remember looking at who was allowed to park at in the parking lot of the comedy store, and I was like, "Whoa, that guy's a that guy's a, a professional!" And just looking up to him, just revering him to be like, "You're a professional comedian." Now, way later, I realized, you know, Galern was just struggling. He was a substitute teacher, um, married, no kids, and just fucking barely able to make ends meet. Wasn't as grand as I thought it was. Um. But I worked there, and I had fun. And then eventually, I um, I wanted the, the owner. I did the employee spots every Sunday. And Bob would put us on. 
Uh, it was great. It was great. I remember Duncan's first set, Duncan Trussell from the Duncan Trussell Family Hour, and my podcast last week. His first set was making fun of Bob. Uh, he would go, hey, Bob, I'm not going to... I don't know. He made fun of like the sexual favors he had to do for Bob to get on. Um, eventually, I, I asked um, Mitzi, the owner of the comedy store, Mitzi Shore, legendary owner of stand-up comedy. Legendary. If you know stand-up comedy, you've heard her name. Uh, started the careers of Andrew Dice Clay and, and, and Damon Wayans and, and, and just everybody. Like, everybody went through there. Richard Pryor rediscovered himself there, turned into what you know him as now, from the Vegas act into what you guys know of him. Um, I mean, they were all there, man. They were all there. Joe Rogan was just starting there. I mean, he'd been there for a few years, I guess. He had finished news radio. Um, Kinnison, all of them, all the greats from the 80s and 90s. They were, that was, they were all comedy store guys. That guy who does Let's Make a Deal or, or Push My Luck, whatever that show was, Harry Mandel. All, all of them, all of them. I'm not kidding, all of them. It was like four comics who weren't comedy store guys, and they all wanted to be. And so eventually I asked the owner, when she would call, and she would ask to talk to the talent coordinator, Freddie Soto's wife at the time. Um, they might not have been married yet. But... Uh, she would call and I would, I would, she actually fired me once cause, cause, uh, I wasn't lively enough on the phone. She, she talked to the manager. She was, let me talk to the manager. And I transferred her and she goes, who's that new phone guy? Uh, Ari Shafir. Well, he's not lively enough on the phones. Get rid of him. And he's like, oh, all right. And then, uh, they, they did a bunch of more business, whatever they had to talk about, what, what stuff needed repairing and things. And then, uh, at the end of the phone conversation, this is my first month there. I mean, I was used to working the North Hill Service Desk at University of Maryland. If they answer the phone, it's North Hill Service Desk. How may I help you? Professional. World famous comedy store. How may I help you? Same shit. Same shit, right? Whatever. She didn't agree. Anyway, they talked about whatever business they had to talk about. And then that was Brandon Duncan. And then at the end of the conversation, he goes, uh, hey, about that new phone guy? You want me to fire? Yeah, what about him? He goes, uh, can I just tell him to be more lively? Oh, yeah, okay, do that. And that's it. If he didn't ask that, I'm not a comic. If he didn't ask that, there's no podcast. I'm not a comedian. So I lasted there. And after a while, I would, you know, I would talk to her and I would transfer to the, to the talent coordinator or to the manager. And uh, I was like, hey, um, Mitzi, um, would you mind... On Sunday, if you're going to be there, because she would come in a lot to do showcases, she would she would look at a few employees and then she would start the showcase list. Whoever was got a recommendation from a paid regular could could showcase to become a part of the place. And um, and I said, if you don't mind, would you would you look at my act and tell me give me any advice that you have? And she goes, okay, tell Corey to set up a showcase. She was a talent coordinator. And so I said, okay. Uh, I didn't know what the word showcase meant, but um, I hadn't made my way downstairs. I was too nervous. All these professionals. <laughs> and I, uh, I asked Corey, I was like, hey, Mitzi said for me to set up a showcase. And Corey was like, whoa, a showcase. That's big. And everyone started talking about it. All the employees like, that's big, man. You can get a made paid regular. It's be a big moment for you. I started getting nervous, man. I was getting nervous. I didn't know it was a big thing when I asked. I just wanted some advice from a lady who fucking watched a lot of comedians. She watched Kinnison. She watched Pryor, Night After Night. Paul Rodriguez. All these guys in their fucking starting. Robin Williams. All these guys she watched Night After Night. So I thought, yeah, great. Get advice from her. And I was nervous, and I went up, and I was too nervous, and I had this, at the time, I had this really high-pitched voice. It's the only way I'd get attention at open mics at the coffee shops. It was just high-pitched and hyper. It's awful. So I got off, and she goes, uh, I think I might have talked to her on the phone on Monday. And she said, um, it was a little too hyper. I go, what do you mean? She goes, you know, it's just, your voice is too high-pitched. It's distracting. 
okay, fair enough. And I was heartbroken. I was disappointed because I didn't get this thing that I didn't want in the first place, but they all told me I should want it. To become a paid regular at the comedy store. Anyway, but the fallout was she said, hey, if you want, why don't you move down and start working the uh, cover booth at night? You can watch the com- comedians that way. I was like, wow, I'd love that. And so I started working the cover booth. Um, started temping at this t- at this point. And uh, so I'd go for my temp job at the health network, wake up at fucking 6.30 to be there by 8.30, shower, or maybe 8, shower, run over there, go straight from the health network job to the cover booth. That ended at like 5.30 or something. I was disappointed to find out that fucking the work day is actually not 9 to 5. It's like 8.30 to 5.30. They don't count the hour for lunch. Unless you work at your desk, then you can make overtime. Life hack. Uh, lonely life hack. So uh, I would go straight from there, 5.30, make it to the comedy store by 6.30, sleep in the back of the main room. There was used to be a phone there. I would call the phone guy. I said, hey, can you call me? Can you call this number at 8.20? So I'd sleep from 6.30 to 8.20. They'd call, oh, wake up, go up, go open up the doors, work the cover booth till about 2 o'clock, then do my paperwork, be home by 3, sleep from 3 to three to 6.30. Oh, God. Jesus. Sleep from 3 a.m. to 6.30 a.m. or 7, and then get up, go to the health network. If I didn't work at the cover booth, I would go in an open mic. Got to the point where on Wednesday, I was too tired to even go to an open mic. I would just come home and go to sleep at 7 o'clock p.m. I would just go to sleep. That's what I knew was getting in the way. The health network was getting in the way of my comedy. Anyway, after a while, uh, she said, I showcased again and again. She goes, you're still too hyper. I was like, motherfucker, still too hyper. God damn it. I showcased over and over again. One time, I really thought I had a chance. I really thought I had a chance. I was doing better at the open mics. I really thought I could get in there. <sighs> God, I was disappointed. Time after time after time. Just defeat after defeat. This is going long, but bear with me. And, um, yeah, I threw a temper tantrum in the main room once. The main room was closed on Sundays. I, I showcase. She goes, I was like, what about now? That was good. She goes, you're still too hyper. I was like, the first time I fucking talked back to her. I was like, but you got to hype yourself. You got to hype up the crowd. She goes, you're only hyping your, yourself up. This is in the back of the room while the show was still going on. And I was like, okay. And I just fucking started throwing chairs. Just went to the dark room and started throwing chairs. It was the only time I've ever, I got home. My girlfriend, Kate Hicks, one of my true loves, who won't talk to me now. How'd it go? Not good. I was just disappointing. It was the only time I've ever asked for a blowjob. <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm sorry. Can you give, can you give me a blowjob? I just really, I'm just feeling terrible. I could really use one now. And she did it. She gave me one. And whatever. Okay, so... Mitzi has seen a lot of comedy. I said, fuck it. Maybe I'm just disappointed in myself. I'll, I'll try. I'll try to be less hyper. She was so right. She was so right. By the way, Kate didn't move out there until six months after I started comedy. So it took six months of rejections. Then she started coming out to watch me. Um, well, then she moved to LA. And then after a while, she started watching me. But anyway, I showcased more and more. Eventually, Mitzi moved me to the, to the, to the door. That's where all the, the, the future... the the past paid regulars had started the door. Paul Rodriguez worked the door. Bobby Lee worked the door. Freddie Soto worked the door for a long time. He helped me a lot emotionally. Um, get through all this rejection. And I'd see my friends start to get passed. Aaron Cater got passed. She was looking for Arab comics. Perfect. Aaron, let's get him a showcase. We got him a showcase. He got on, got passed. We all celebrated. And then more of my friends started to get passed. And not me. I did not get passed. And a year turned into two years. And it was like, what's going on? It should have happened by now. It drove me crazy. It drove me fucking crazy. That's all I wanted in life. That's my, it was my only goal for four years. Four and a half years. I just wanted to be a paid regular. My mom... 
I was talking to my mom from the phone room. I still work the phones too. I was talking to my mom from the phone room. By the way, the phones made six dollars an hour. Six twenty. Excuse me. Six twenty-five. Cover booth made six seventy-five. Uh, the door twenty-five dollars a shift from eight thirty till two thirty. Highly illegal to make twenty-five bucks for six hours of work. Oh, they're independent contractors. You can't just make shit up and say that's the law. Whatever. Those were old times. It didn't matter. All we want to do is be a comic. I think at some point the, the minimum wage went up to six fifty and we got a raise, but she fought it. But we were like, Yay, and I was like, Who cares? We're getting we're getting we're allowed to go up. We're allowed to perform on Sundays. If you're an employee, you get to perform every Sunday. At that point, Jordy Fox in the early stages, Jordy Fox also saved my comedy career by telling me he works at Comedy Central now, but he was like the best employee at the time. Of all the employee comics, he was the best one. We'd all go in to watch Jordy Fox. Just got his name on the wall. Just recently, he's, he's, he fell through the cracks in terms of putting their names on the wall. And he just got it. Super happy for him. But he told me, Ari, you got to go up other places. You can't just go up here. I learned about comedy from the comedy store. I would get other comedians to help me. Freddie would help me. Jordy Fox telling me that, telling me there's other places and making me a list of open mics I had to go to. To go to the Westwood Bruco open mic and all these other, the Unurban and the fucking Novel Cafe, the shittiest open mics, the Coconut Teaser. Fuck, that was bad. So you got to go up other places if you want to get good. But the only reason I want to get good is so I can make, get made a paid regular at the comedy store. That was it. That was the only thing that drove me for four and a half years. And I showcased and I showcased and I showcased. And sometimes she'd pop in and she goes, I want to see the, the employees. And if she didn't like you, if you were an employee, if she didn't like you, you were fired. She'd fire you. Excuse me. Not if she didn't like you as a person. If she didn't like your act. She would make you go up. Who's next? All right, get up there. And then you'd find out the next day that you got fired. Because she didn't like your jokes. Not because she was offended by them. Because she didn't think you had a future. And she would fire you. So I'd get this futureless hack off my stage and out of my club. She normally wouldn't say that. But that was her overall tone. Get this fucking go nowhere out of here. And I survived. I survived the firings. I didn't get fired. But I didn't get made a paid regular also. And then she got this thing called non-paid regulars. Where you were allowed to go up in the belly room. In the upstairs room that was started for women. And uh, you could do spots there two nights a week. And three nights a week. And Caparulo got made. John Caparulo got made a non-paid regular. And we were so fucking happy for him. He was an employee with us. He used to fucking mop up vomit like we did. He was hitting on a girl one time. Finally, he was uncomfortable around women. He finally hitting on a girl and talking to her. And somebody came from the back and said, "Hey, John, you got to mop up some. There's an overflow. Excuse me. There's an overflow in the toilet in the women's restroom. You got to go mop it up." So embarrassing. They shit on us left and right. Few people were nice. Bobby Lee was nice to the employees. He was real nice. Wheels was nice. Some people were dicks. Gabriel Iglesias used to come in on Sundays. You could put up any open micer. Excuse me, any employee. Excuse me. Started with the open mic, then showcases and employees. Just employees if they didn't have showcases. And then after that, at 10 o'clock, it would be paid regulars. No lineup, whoever came in. First come, first serve. Mixed with whoever you think you should put up. I remember Gabriel Iglesias and Felipe Esparza, two nobodies. They came in and said, hey, can, can, uh, can we go on? It's like 1.30 in the morning on a Sunday night. And I go, uh, no, you got to be paid regulars. And Gabriel and Felipe, they crouched down on the floor next to where their headshots were. The whole front hallway is filled with headshots of old paid regulars. Coach was there. Fucking Charles Fleischer, uh, Andy Kaufman, Jim Carrey. All of them had headshots. Robin Williams, they all had headshots in there. Mixed with guys that were around now. And they crouched down all the way. Theirs were at the bottom. They looked, put their faces to the floor and, and put their faces next to their headshots and said, see, that's us. We're paid regulars. You just don't know us. And I was like, all right, you're on next. But then it was, we ran out of time. That's right, we ran out of time. And I was like, we only got time for one of you. The manager said it was only time for one more comedian. And so I think Felipe went up and did Gabriel's act. Or it could have been Gabriel going up and doing Felipe's act. I forget which one. But, oh, it was magical watching those guys. It was magical watching comedy. And when I worked at the door, I would watch these comedians. I would see the mistakes they made, and I would see the techniques they had. And I would learn. It was just like a sieve. I would learn, and I would learn, and I would learn. 
Mark Curry came in, hanging with Mr. Cooper. Remember that show? He would come in, and he would go. He would, I saw him three nights in a row. And the first night, I just laughed. He was just fucking funny. And the second night, I laughed again. And then the third, but it was the same material. I guess I knew some of the jokes, but it was still funny. Everything was so goddamn hilarious to me then. These are professional comics. And the third night, I, I knew what he was doing, and I started noticing the technique behind it. How he'd forget to do a tagline. I was like, whoa, you forgot that one line. And then he'd be like, and then he'd be like yeah. And he'd move on. He's like, you know, oh, oh, and another thing. And he'd, he'd fake remember what he was going to say. And I realized he had done it that way the night before and the night before that. The technical aspects of it, of comedy, I was amazed by it. And I talked to my mom once on the phones, and I told her that my dream was to become a paid regular at the comedy store. And she was like, well, how much do you make if you're a paid regular? And I said, well, you make $15. I'm crying. I said, you make $15. And she goes, Ari, you can't live on $15. I'm like, I know, mom. It's not about that. I know I can't live on $15 a night. I have a temp job. I have a shitty temp job at the health network, right? To bring people coffee. Like a secretary from a Dagwood fucking Bumstead comic strip. And she was like, what are you doing? You can't do this. And I got disheartened from her. My dad understood. He understood what it was like to spread your wings. My mom was just worried about me. But I got disheartened from her, from Mitzi, from every fucking rejection I got, from every bomb I went up on. Bomb after bomb. I had a good set once at the at the Novel Cafe in Santa Monica. One of the two shittiest open mics. From someone in the and they had this little balcony where you could read upstairs and someone was laughing. I was like, what the fuck, man? I'm trying up here. I'm trying to do comedy. You don't have to fucking shit on me. And they were like, What? We thought it, your joke was funny. Really earnestly they said that. And I was it was so foreign to me, the idea that someone would think I was funny. And I was getting better. I was. Eventually I started getting better and better. But Mitzi kept saying no. I showcased 10, 12, 15 times. I'm like, what's the fucking record here? Most people took five, six showcases, max. Some, some people, three or four, and they were in. In the old days, in the 80s and 90s, it was fucking six months and you were in. That was it. Six months and three showcases and you got in. And now I'm going on three years and 25 showcases. And eventually I got made a non-paid regular. And that was a big win. And then I went to the Novel Cafe the next week and I crushed the confidence level I had. I was like, hey, maybe this is just from my, in my head. I was like, maybe this is just a shitty open mic, but I'm a non-paid regular at the comedy store. <sighs> I was like, nobody can touch me now. I've been given a fucking slot there. It was a shitty slot and I wasn't on with the regulars. But it was something. It was a hope. You know, I was still coming to terms with my lack of faith, with my with my with my with my new understanding that I just didn't have a belief in God inside me, and I couldn't understand. I couldn't wrap my head around the idea of faith, because the idea of faith is the idea of faith is, is is you have to have this leap. You have to believe in something when when there's no reason to. And that's the reason I don't think there's such a thing as a real leap of faith because your parents are Christian. That's why you're Christian. Or your parents are Jewish and that's why you're Jewish. Or you talked to some guy and he got through to you and that's why you're Buddhist. Duncan Drussel. Or whoever got through to you. But there's no leap of faith. You're doing it. You're doing all these things based on the idea that you already believe it. The leap of faith, the real leap of faith is to do something, is to believe and go to synagogue when you don't believe, when you say, you know what, there's no proof for this. In fact, all proof points to the contrary. I don't have parents telling me that this is going to work. I don't have parents telling me to go to synagogue. Or so. In fact, it's the opposite. It's when you have people telling you, no, don't do that. But no, you make a leap of faith and say, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I believe in whatever. You do it anyway. That's a leap of faith. And I was like, that's true, that's true religion. And I realized my true religion was the comedy store. Because every detail, every proof I could find pointed to the fact that I will never become a paid regular there. 28 showcases, 29 showcases, 30 showcases. Oh, that was so good. 
That was amazing. Whoa, maybe tonight's the night. You're a non-paid regular. No, what? No, I'm already a non-paid regular, Mitzi. I'm already a non-paid regular. You can't do this. She go, oh, well. Then I guess you'd be comfortable there because that's where you still are. She was talking to Miles Gibrani once. And I came around. I used to drive her home. I would drive her home every night. That was my job. I would drive the owner home. I would bring her there on Saturdays and I would bring her there on Sundays. <sighs> I'd drive her home and I'd know just waiting for her every single showcase, every single time to be like, Ari, I'd like to make you a paid regular. And I'd drive the fucking van home and I'd get out and I'd open up her door and I'd walk her inside. Sometimes I'd try to steal a glance at the showcase list. To see if, uh, you know, whose name she had circled, whose name she'd cross out. She'd cross out names within 15, 20 seconds. Nope. How do you cross someone's name out in 12 seconds? (laughs) 12 seconds into their showcase? And the biggest point in their month, you're saying no? I get it now. You can tell when somebody's got nothing. And I'd, 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 I'd look at her purse when she went to the bathroom. I'd open it up and look at the, the list and see if I could see if someone I knew had been had got circled. And I'd run back. And I'd be like, your name was circled, man. I remember telling David Taylor that. I think it was David. Maybe Caparillo too. Sebastian. All those type of guys. Maz. I remember Maz getting passed. And uh, it was okay. I wasn't competitive. I was competitive at first. When I thought it was them or me. And then I realized, oh, it's just them or not me. She's just torturing me. She would say, you're like Freddy Soto. It took him forever. So he really helped me. He really helped me go, man, I know, it, man. It took a long time for me too. And he told me these same things that bothered me. He said, you know, these paid regulars would go up to you and go, oh, you're not a paid regular? Oh, you're funny enough to be. That's crazy. And, and they would think they'd be doing you a favor and consoling you. But it wouldn't console you. It would just make you hurt that much more. Thirty-one showcases, thirty-two showcases. She was there with Maz, and she was like, "Ari, that was amazing. You were great tonight." And Maz was like, "Yeah, man, we saw your showcase. That was great, dude. I would fucking have killer showcases. I would do material. I I would say other times I'd say fuck it and just do whatever was on my mind." Because I stopped caring. I stopped believing in it. Oh, that's what I was saying. Real faith. Real faith is when every, every proof is pointing to the opposite of what you believe in. And every, every proof here. I'll just tell you the end of that Maz Jabrani story. She goes, I was great. And I was like, here it is. Here it is. She's going to do it. You're almost ready for the big time, kiddo. <laughs> Not yet, though. <laughs> God, she tortured me. Motherfucker, she worked me so hard. Real faith is when everything is po- is pointing to the opposite of what you believe. And I believed I was going to get made a pay regular. And if you asked anyone else in the world, say, well, why do you think that? They'd be, you're crazy, man. She's telling you over and over and over again that you're not going to become a paid regular. She enjoys fucking with you. I would have to seat people in front of her. She goes, you're too tall. I was like, well, what am I going to do? You're fired. What? I'm fired? Yeah. You're too tall. You're blocking people when you seat them. Can I, can I just crouch? Okay. You're not fired. You can just crouch. Man, she would fuck with me. It was her personal. It was her personal fucking joy. What's that table doing in front of me? I can't see. The table's always there. No, it's not. Get it out. I have to take this table out. Thirty minutes later, there's supposed to be a table there. You idiot! Put it back. You just told me put it back. This time, I had gotten a job working the. Assistant talent coordinator at the comedy store, Big Duncan Trussell's assistant. 
I worked on the web. I worked the website for a while. Two weeks. Got paid for 40 hours a week. I worked 80 hours a week. Poured my heart and soul into it. All right, show me what you did. I showed her, you're fired. I don't like it at all. What do you mean you don't like it at all? What's all this? What's all this? Like, this is a button for directions. This is a button for showtimes. What directions? People know where it is. Like, Mitzi, I work the phones. People call all the time for directions. Where are you from? Are you from here? Mitzi, I don't think that's that makes me. Are you? Where are you from? You know I'm from Maryland. That's right. You're not from here. You don't know. People from here know. They know where it is. Well, they call. Shut up. You're fired. Take it all down. Balling, balling, crying. Not this kind of crying that I'm doing now. The kind of crying that fucking hurt. And everything, everything, everything around me pointed to the fact that I'll never get past. That's real faith. That's real belief. That's a real leap of faith. When everything says, no, it's not true. When no one's saying it's true. No one's saying, oh, you're going to get made a paid regular. They're all saying, yeah, it looks like it's probably not going to happen. And I still persevered. I still fought through. That's real faith. 33 showcases. 34 showcases. No, no. Thirty-five showcases, thirty-six showcases. Four years pass since I first got a job there, and I was getting good, man. I was getting better. I mean, for whatever it took, I was getting better. For whatever the reason, I—I I, I don't know if she did that on purpose or not, but I wanted it so bad. I wanted it so bad. Cater didn't work that hard. He, he was doing the open mics with us. He did Bar Azor with us. But then he just got passed. He didn't have to fucking... All those guys. David Taylor got passed. He was almost embarrassed to tell me. He said it didn't seem right since I had started like, you know, two years before him there. But I didn't care. It wasn't about him or me. It was just about not me. 35 showcases. 36 showcases. And then it's September, September of 2003. What is this? Let me look. I usually have it marked. Get out of here. When, what day? When, when was it? September 15th. I got it on my phone. September 15th, 2003. I showcased. Rick Ingram showcased. Kirk Fox showcased. A few other people showcased. And um, I went and I did my set. And, uh, and um, And then she passed me. She said, all right, that's it. You did it. You're a paid regular now. I've never worked harder for anything in my life. There was nothing I've worked harder for. This September 15th, we'll be recording my um, storyteller show for Comedy Central. This is not happening. The second day, September 9th and 15th. Jay Okerson's going the, the 15th and big and Joey Diaz and Ralphie May and um, yeah but it'll be 11 years this year and that was my life the whole place since then and, and before then was my life the comedy store was my life it was my home it was my home Steve Simone puts it the best he said it's the island of misfit toys. The freaks were all drawn there. It's a little different now. There's more good looking people. But the freaks all get drawn to the comedy store. Some of them make it, some of them don't. 
Jim Painter doesn't do comedy anymore. One of my biggest influences, one of the biggest influences on me, Ren Azizi, Steve Simone, Taylor, Nick Youssef, out of comedy. Comedy store broke him. I've, I've slept there. I've gotten drunk and I've slept there. I fell asleep one night, barfed. We drank with fucking Jamie Wright, this pitcher. He was friends with Simone's friends and uh, Brian, the pitching coach, and um, got blasted drunk. Don't try to keep up with a major league pitch, baseball pitcher and booze. Fell asleep in the barf, and then just fell asleep in the back. Woke up at like 3 a.m., 4 a.m., and I was like, what? Oh, um, the alarm's probably on. Fuck it. I'll just go back to sleep. Went upstairs when I woke at 10. David Taylor was working the phones. He was like, hey, are you, are you, are you wearing the same clothes as yesterday? Yeah, that's right. I slept here. I've done drugs there. Multiple drugs, weed, mushrooms, pills, booze. That's it. I've never done coke there. Um, I've, I've had sex there. I fucked there in multiple places. Only girlfriends. Never some girl I just met. Some girls, some guys did that. It was our hangout, man. It was our place. It was our place. At one point, we had this manager, Shelly, and she said there was no more pot smoking to be allowed on the premises. She tried to run it like a business. Big mistake at the comedy store. It ain't a business. It's run by the comedians. It's, they say it's an, it's, a, it's an asylum run by the inmates. She tried to make everyone sign up a, a piece of paper saying you wouldn't smoke pot there anymore. And we ran her out. She was fired within three weeks after that. It's my home. It's my home. When I came home off the road, when I would open for Rogan and do these awesome, amazing 300-seat rooms, do the Cap City Comedy Club, best rooms in the country, I would do Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And then we'd, we'd travel home on Sunday, and they'd be amazing, and I'd feel like a real comedian. And I'd come back to the comedy store to get a wake-up call. They're like, well, how are you going to do it in front of fucking 14 people at 1.15 in the morning? On a Sunday night. Mitzi let me host. I hosted for fucking four or five years. The open mic went from Sunday to Sunday and Monday. Then it went to Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. She let me do it before I was a paid regular. Before I was even a non-paid regular. She said, you can host one week. And Freddie Soto said, dude, I hosted for a while. I'm telling you, if she lets you do it a few times, watch how much quicker it makes you on stage. And I was just happy to do it once. That was a paid regular gig. I got paid 25 bucks for it. I got actually paid for comedy for doing it once. I was stoked enough. But she did let me do it again. She let me do it over and over and over again. And he was right. Any of my conversational style, any of my quickness on stage comes from those four or five years where I hosted the open mic. Three minutes at a time, the, 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 the crazy fucking open micers go up. Three, 20 of them. And then the employees and the showcasers, you're bringing up 45 people. That means 45 times you got to get back up on stage every night. got crazy. It was so hard. To have to, these people were so bad to keep getting the energy going back up in the crowd. I would pray for Boon Chakalaka to come out in a fucking sequin dress and a bucket on his head and do some weird dance from the 50s and get the crowd roaring. At least I didn't have to fucking, I could be like, awesome, that guy was great. Let's bring up the next comic. Go outside and smoke half a cigarette, put it out, bring somebody on, go out and smoke another half a cigarette. It was great work. It's my home. It's my home. People don't understand. You, you, you won't understand unless you're really a part of it. It's my home. So, with all that in mind... I would like to fuck about pussy. I would like to proudly announce <sighs> I'm so fucking happy about this. October's fuck come on man. October 29th, 2014. I will be recording <sighs> I'll be recording a 1-hour special for Comedy Central. At the comedy store. Have you ever had a dream? This is my dream. 
when I was there, when I was a nobody, I looked up to all the regulars and I was like, I want to be like them. I saw them on TV. I saw some of them succeeding and I was like, I want to be, I want to be like them. And I fell in love with the room, with the original room. The regular room that goes seven days a week. The dingy workout room. There's a sign that Mitzi has above. She's own a house above the comedy store. It starts the Hollywood Hills start right there. Called Crest Hill. Kinison stayed there. Dice stayed there. And that's where their fight started. They were roommates. Tons of people stayed there. She let comics stay for real cheap. And she put up a sign right there. It was maybe five feet by five feet. Maybe, maybe even three feet by three feet. So the whole city could see it, she said. And it said, um, it said the comedy store, belly room, or main room, belly room, and workshop. She didn't even call it the original room. She called it the workshop. Because that's where you go to work. And I fell in love with the room. It's beautiful. It's it's a beautiful room. One of my favorite shots in all of comedy is driving down Sunset, coming home somewhere, and there's a big plate glass window from the patio into the original room. You can see who's on stage. And they're lit up. They're, they're, their side, whatever it's called, profile. They're facing out, and you would see them from the side. You can't hear their jokes. You can't really see the audience because they're all in the darkness. You just see a comic, just a comedian, alone on stage, talking, lit up. And when you pass it, you're like, that's it, man. That's what's happening. There's a comic. He's doing comedy. I used to dream about being like them and being on stuff. Being on TV before I gave up on television. And I always thought what a cool place to shoot that would be. I always thought that. What about doing it here? What if I could somehow do something here? And I'm doing it. I swear I won't cry when I'm doing the fucking special. But October 29th, 2014, I will be recording my new hour-long special at the Comedy Store. 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock shows. Um, Tickets are available now. There's not that many of them. It's a small room. Um, working with the director that I worked with and the producer on my last special, Passive Aggressive, which Comedy Central is also cool enough to put on their network soon. I don't know when, but soon, and then it'll be available again for for downloads and everything. Um, probably before my storyteller show comes out in the winter. But uh, yeah, I'm doing my special at the Comedy Store. So I'd like to share that with you guys. Uh, if you'd like to be a part of it, get tickets. Uh, 20 bucks. And make a weekend of it. It's on a Wednesday. If you're not from Los Angeles, then stay Thursday and Friday and go hang out at nights at the comedy store. And go Sunday also. The open mic is back to, no, oh, excuse me, Monday. It's back to just Mondays. Go that night. Start from the beginning of the night. Start early on. When the when the brand new open micers are going up. The fucking, some crazies, they do a little better about picking out the hat now of who's who's going up. They don't do it the same way. They They, they nurture good people, which is nice. Then the employees... Then some of the non-paid regulars, then the paid regulars. Watch how it changes through the night. It's, it's pretty beautiful. Welcome to Ari Shafir Skeptic Tank. 
I'm Ari Shafir. Hi, you guys. On today's episode, Jonah Ray joins me. Jonah Ray used to do open mics with me. I was just, uh, I was probably three or four years in when he started. And um, fucking one of the nicest, coolest guys you'll ever meet in your life. Nobody doesn't like Jonah Ray. And coincidentally, he is also doing a storyteller, not a storyteller show, a stand-up show on Comedy Central called uh, Meltdown. Meltdown Comics. This is uh, it was a sh- it's a showroom in the back of Meltdown Comics, uh, and the Meltdown show it's on Sunset Boulevard. It's the coolest show of the week in Los Angeles. It used to be Dublin's for a while. It was Dublin's. It was a mainstream room for a while. Before that, it was Largo. Largo was the hot room. It was an alt room. And then Dublin's kind of took over from that. And Dublin's became like the hot room. And it was a mainstream room. And that was responsible for the careers of Dane Cook. Dane Cook was the hottest comic at the hottest show in LA. And he was there every week. Most weeks he was there. Um, and then it moved to uh, the M-Bar, to the Comedy Death Ray. Uh, later became known as the Comedy Bang Bang. And they moved to the UCB. And that kind of like, had it ran its course it ran for years that was the hottest show in la and then and then uh the meltdown show on wednesdays took over by uh kumail nanjiani and jonah ray host it every week it's a great show i've done it a couple times it's fucking awesome they have cool art every week this guy dave clock makes posters new posters every week new weird posters with everybody's names on them from the show and uh so he's on the he's on the episode he's talking about hawaii it's all about hawaii he grew up there so I wanted to get him on for a while about this. I like some regional podcasts once in a while. And then we talk about other stuff too. <sighs> Sorry about crying, everybody. I get emotional about this stuff. Um, but yeah, cool episode. Make sure to watch. It's on Thursdays at 1230 a.m. So Wednesday nights slash Thursday. And if you're in L.A. on a Wednesday, except for the... October 29th when I'm filming my special. But any other Wednesday, head over to the to the Meltdown show in the back of a comic book store on Sunset Boulevard. It's like Sunset and Gardner. Um, right near that head shop. Um, it's a fucking awesome show. Really cool. Uh, so watch it on Comedy Central, 1230 a.m. Thursday morning. Um, and um, check out Jonah's podcast jonah radio and he always has a really cool taste for music always really cool taste for indie hip music that song that was playing in the beginning that song is is by uh not giant drag who fucking sang that song but it's called uh jonah ray's a-ok harmar superstar no anyway look it up on my website all the music is always there um a couple quick dates besides october 29th uh September 9th and 15th is the Storyteller Show. The lineup is great so far, everybody. It's, it's great. I'll just read it. Listen to this list. Listen to this fucking list of who, who I have on the show so far. Wow, we've done a good job booking. Um, oh, but first, this Thursday in New York, August 21st, I'm doing an hour. I'm doing the hour that I'm going to be doing at, at the Comedy Store. So if you're going to go to that, to the comedy store, don't come on Thursday. But if you're not, definitely do come on Thursday because I need to work this as many times as I can. I've been doing too many, like, you know, China gigs. Actually, China was great. China was great. I worked this shit out in four continents, you guys. Asia, Europe, North America. That's it. Australia. And Mexico. That's, that's North America probably still. Listen to this. Listen to this lineup. Um, Joe Rogan, Burt Kreischer, Joey Diaz, Big J. Okerson, Ralphie May, Bobby Lee, D.L. Hughley, Jay Larson, Keegan-Michael Key, Paul Shear, Steve Renazzisi, Andrew Dice Clay, Rob Corddry, and we're not done booking yet. That's a sick fucking lineup. Anyway, that's September 9th and fifteenth. So we, I'm trying to get them. Hopefully this week they'll be on. They'll be on sale, or we'll get away. They they don't like selling tickets for that. So there'll be a way to get my fans, you guys, 
um, first dibs into the show. I'll give you like a, a code or something by next week, but probably also on Twitter. So August 21st, the Bell House in New York. August 21st, come to it. The Bell House in New York. It's $15 in advance, 20 at the door. Buy them in advance. I think I'm probably I'm going to ask Big J to open for me. Someone cool will be opening. Um, um, and then let's all smoke pot afterwards. I don't have any other spots that night. Let's fight. It's Brooklyn, right? There's got to be a there's got to be a parking lot behind there or something. But come out. I won't have any merch. I might have like six t-shirts and three grinders, but I probably won't bring them. Um, yeah, come out. And then August 27th in Chicago, me and Nick Youssef are doing Zanies that might already be sold out. You should check quickly. Um, Calgary, September 18th, that weekend. I'm at Yuck Yucks, 18th, 19th, and 20th. I love Calgary. I've always had good shows there. And then I'm going to Denmark, the 23rd through the 26th, for the Denmark Copenhagen Comedy Festival. Uh, tickets are now up on my site, although my site's down today, but hopefully it'll be up tomorrow. Uh, you can get tickets there. And then I'm filling in. Uh, I might do Seattle in October. Um, maybe somewhere else and then the 25th i'm doing appleton wisconsin i'm doing that again um to work out that's the weekend right before so if you live in wisconsin come see my special fucking right before i do it uh all right you guys and then the maui comedy festival after my special but it's all about the special i'm telling you guys i'm telling you everything else i've gotten in the last few years and i've gotten a lot i'm doing a lot better I'm doing a lot better. Who knows why? Maybe it's because of my focus on stand-up. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's because after a while you get enough hours and you're good. But doing my special, uh, releasing a CD that went to fucking number one for a week on iTunes, that was a shock. Thank you guys for buying that. Still available right now on iTunes and Illegal Torrents all the time. Um, them saying they're going to put my last special on TV. Them picking up the storyteller show and putting it on the web, and if whoever saw that, I was so happy with how that came out, and and that fact that we're going to do them on TV now, and they're so cool about um, about booking. That it's such a cool new fucking crew at Comedy Central. They're all like, yeah, man, whatever you want to do, not whatever, but pretty much, however they can make the artist happy. That's what they want to do. They just want to do it our way, however they can. They got to have deal commercials and stupid shit like that, and and you know you can't. Uh, say libelous stuff or death threats on television but as much as they can they help you all that stuff I'm happy about all of it it all pales in comparison to being able to do my special my next special I might call it home I might call it Ari Shafir home or the store I don't know Maybe I like home. We'll see. None of it compares to being able to do that. Recording a special in the original room of the comedy store. God, it makes me happy. And people ask, has anyone else ever done it there? And I'm like, who gives a shit? Don't compare yourself to other people. I belong at the comedy store. That's my home. I want to do it there. If you want to get pizza, you don't ask who else has gotten pizza. You just go get pizza. <sighs> you guys, I'm so happy. And maybe it's because of Shroomfest. And I'm thinking really clear. But I'm fucking happy. And it's because of this. It's because I'm doing my special at the goddamn original room at the comedy store. I'm so fucking happy about it. All right. Let's start the episode. Another hour-long intro.
That was the episode, everybody. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, go to AriShafir.com for, I don't know, all the information generally on, on uh, podcast music and stuff. That was the music from the special. Um, I hope if you do watch it, you enjoy it. If you do enjoy it, tell your friends. Tell them to get it on demand. Tell them to, I don't know, get it, the whole extended version. And share it with people. Fucking, you know, send them the files. I don't care. Get more people to see it. Uh, and let me know what you think. Contact at AriTheGreat.com. I'll read your emails. Tweet at me. Um, I think that's about it. Thanks, you guys. Thanks for supporting me this time. I'm really happy my, my special's here. So, <laughs> sorry I got choked up there. But, uh, yeah, it means a lot to me. And it really did mean a lot to me to be able to record my special there. I mean, on my way to the stage... As I was being brought on, Kevin Christie did the uh, Fahim Anwar and Kevin Christie opened the first show. And as Kevin Christie brought me on, and Jeff said my name, walking towards the stage, I got kind of choked up again. I was like, man, I'm doing it. Just for a second. Just for a second. I was like, man, I'm doing this. I'm about to record my special in the OR. Then close your eyes and tap your heels together three times. And think to yourself, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's There's no no place like home. There's no place like Wake up, honey. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no Dorothy, Dorothy, dear. It's Aunt Em, darling. Oh, Annie Em. It's you. Yes, darling. Hello there. Anybody home? I, uh, I just dropped by because I heard the little girl got caught in the big... Well, she seems all right now. Yeah, she got quite a bump on the head. We kind of thought there for a minute she was going to leave us. But I did leave you, Uncle Henry. That's just the trouble. And I tried to get back for days and days. There, there, lie quiet now. You just had a bad dream. Sure. Remember me? Your old pal, Hunk? (laughs) Me? (laughs) Hickory? You couldn't forget my face, could you? But it wasn't a dream. It was a place. And you, and you... And you were there. Oh, <laughs> But you couldn't have been, could you? Well, we dream lots of silly things when we... No, Aunt Em. This was a real, truly live place. And I remember that some of it wasn't very nice, but most of it was beautiful. But just the same, all I kept saying to everybody was, I want to go home. And they sent me home. <laughs> Doesn't anybody believe me? Of course we believe you, though. Oh, but anyway, Toto, we're home. Home. And this is my room. And you're all here. And I'm not going to leave here ever, ever again. Because I love you all. And, oh, Annie M. There's no place like home.